Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Wait a minute. I've heard that before. That's the note Jeremy wrote to me in my yearbook in the sixth grade. How'd you even know that? Because it's from Geico. Yeah, yeah wait, here it is. Dear Luke, have a great summer. P.S. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Love, Jeremy. Geico's had this tagline for years because we help save people money. So wait, you're saying Jeremy copied you? <laughs> yeah, that actually does sound like something the J-Man would do. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. the Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan, and we are coming to you on Thursday, July 30th, the finale of the four-game set between the Chicago Cubs and Cincinnati Reds postponed due to rain tonight in Cincinnati. So the Cubs win what is now a three-game series, two to one taking the first two games of the series and dropping the third on Wednesday. So we have plenty to break down in that series. We'll focus on the starting pitching through the first turn in the rotation. The offense continuing to stay hot, scoring 23 runs in these three games against the Reds. And then, of course, yes, 
yes, you all know that there will be a discussion about the dumpster fire that is the Chicago Cubs bullpen. A very exciting dumpster fire to have to talk about this early in the season. And Brendan, I I know it's always exciting to know that something is going to be a problem, know it's going to be an area that they maybe should have addressed in a different way, but here we are. We, we all knew this was coming, and the bullpen is a complete mess, so that's fun. Good things, the lineup, the rotation, the defense. The bad thing is the bullpen, right? We knew there were a wide range of possibilities in the bad way and in the good way. We're seeing it in a bad way right now, and we're seeing it in a bad way because I think unpredictably, neither of us thought every one of these guys would be throwing one mile per hour slower, I think. So it could be chalked up to just the early season, the aggressive ramp up period, and maybe the bullpen will settle in in the next week or two. Once you get more reps, right? Just get your strength back up. That that might be it, but we'll talk about it. There's a lot of worries in the bullpen, but I don't want that to distract from a lot of the good that we saw over the uh, first two series. Yeah, I think the the key takeaway, and I think we'll structure this podcast similar to how we did the last episode when we recapped that first series with the Brewers, focus on the good because the majority of it was good. This team is 4-2. and two. They've won both series that they played. They won one at home. They won one on the road. They did their job against the uh, worst members of the Cincinnati rotation, even though they struggled against Sonny Gray, and they've won uh, two-thirds of their games so far. So that, that I think, is is the lead story, even though the bullpen is obviously uh, a point of discussion. So we will focus on all of those things as always. We'll start with just a brief recap just to sort of set the scene here. Uh, but actually, Brendan, before I get to that, it's it's part of the first game, but I don't even want to get into the recap before I bring this up. Um, what I'd like to start with, Brendan, do you know what I would like to start with today? I think so. Brendan. Does someone throw a no-hitter? What I would like to start with, Brendan, yes, is that in his age 36 season, to begin his sixth and final season of his current contract, current contract with the Chicago Cubs, Jonathan Tyler Lester went out and threw five no-hit innings Mm. on the road against the Cincinnati Reds, okay? That is the first note on this episode of the Cubs Related Podcast, all right? We talked all this time about how you just got to trust him. Whatever stuff he has, he'll figure it out. He'll be good. He looked really good in that exhibition game finale against the Twins, and he looked really good on Monday. Number 34, John Lester, your boy, the left-hander, whatever you want to call him. That is the highlight to start things off with. Now, now that I've just laid the scene there and made sure that we uh, are talking about that in particular. We can jump into a quick recap. If you're new to the Cubs Related Podcast, a couple minutes, we just run over this uh, just to sort of set the scene so that we don't have to go back and kind of keep saying, in this game, they did this. and they, So that's generally how we do it, but just a, a couple moments of your time here, and then we will jump into the longer form discussion. On Monday, 
the final 8-7, to seven, a weird final score uh, when your starting pitcher goes five innings of no-hit baseball, uh, and we can explain how we got there. Uh, but like I said, John Lester was really good. Five innings, no hits, no runs, one walk, and one strikeout. Uh, he w- threw 76 pitches, 50 of which for strikes. As we noted in the preview of this series on the last episode, Pitch count was about 80, 85, uh, and, you know, I think obviously there was some weird discussion about that, like as if David Ross had made an error by taking him out, and and just the idea was very strange to me. Like if if John felt really good and felt like, no, I'm going to finish this no-hitter, he would have, right? Like he's talked about the bullets. He knows where he is he he knows that you know he he may not have been able to gut that out for another four innings uh if 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 david ross and john lester wanted him to finish the no hitter he would have finished the no hitter guys come on now um so then the bullpen took over and that was i mean truly brendan one of the I mean, that was insane. I mean, just a complete unmitigated disaster of a performance from that bullpen on Monday. Barely, barely, I mean, by the thinnest of margins, literally, holding on to an 8-7 victory uh, that definitely felt like a loss for most of that ninth inning. Uh, Anthony Rizzo hitting his third home run of the season in this game, another very nice game for the offense. They put up six in the first two innings of this game against Cincinnati starter Wade Miley. Uh, I, I think we'll just save the discussion of what happened with this bullpen here for when we get to the bullpen at the end of the podcast. The key here, Cubs win 8-7, to seven, John Lester 5, no hit innings. The offense uh, very good again in this one. Rizzo with the homer in an RBI, Baez with an RBI, Contreras in an RBI, Steven Souza Jr. in his first start with two RBIs, David Bodie two RBIs. Uh, so a good game all around from the offense there. And then, yeah, the the bullpen allowed seven runs. So you can kind of put together what went on there. In Tuesday's game, the Cubs winning again behind another strong starting pitching performance and more runs from the offense. Alec Mills was very, very good in this game. He goes six, allows two hits, two earned runs, two walks, and three strikeouts. The Cubs getting uh, some big offense in this game. Javi Baez with a two-home run game in this one, driving in three. David Bodie with his first home run of the series in this game. Kipnis with an RBI, getting the start here at DH in this one. Nico with two RBIs. Uh, The Cubs scoring one run each from the third to eighth inning. They also score two in the ninth, so a really solid and consistent approach from the Cubs offense. Then on Wednesday in the finale, the Cubs, this one uh, just got away from them. Kyle Hendricks did not have that command that we saw from him in the debut on Friday. He goes four and a third, seven hits, six earned runs, two walks, and three strikeouts. The bullpen was not good behind him. Keynotes for the offense in this one. David Bodie does get his second home run of the season and obviously of this series. Chris Bryant with a a better-looking game on offense. He did rip a double drove in two runs, uh, continuing to play really good defense. He turned a, in the record book, it's a triple play. If you watch the video, the ball definitely hit the ground, but you can't challenge it. So Chris Bryant uh, turned a triple play. Uh, So that's just, 
how that goes. I don't quite understand that rule, but uh, luckily for the Reds, this was not a like Game 7 of the World Series situation. Uh, but another good game, like I said, from David Bodie on offense, Victor Caratini with an RBI in this one, Nico with two more RBIs out of the nine spot in this one. So a very good start to the season for the young middle infielder. The Reds winning this one 12-7 to though. Nicholas Castellanos, who you may remember, hitting a grand slam in this one. That was not so fun. Uh, and the Cubs striking out 11 times in six and two-thirds innings against Cincinnati starter Sonny Gray. So that is what happened in the series. Again, the Cubs winning the first two games on Monday and Tuesday, dropping the finale to the Sonny Gray-led Reds on Wednesday. So the first thing that I want to talk about uh, coming out of, you know, just sort of looking at this series on the whole is that first turn through the rotation for the Cubs as it was very good. And I think somewhat surprisingly, uh, Darvish was actually the worst start in that first turn. Uh, and given what we know he's capable of, I would say that bodes pretty well. But one time through the rotation, obviously Hendricks starting on Wednesday is the second turn in the rotation. So just through that Alec Mills start on Tuesday, the Cubs starters put up a 1.8 ERA, a 0.63 whip, a 26 to 5 K to walk ratio. They had three quality starts in there. That would be Hendricks, Chatwood, and Mills. Lester, even though he threw five no-hit innings, one inning short of being able to get a quality start, though in reality, I think it's a quality start. And they only allowed 14 hits in those 30 innings pitched. So for as concerning as the bullpen has been to start this season, the starting pitching in this group, Brendan, has done a really, really nice job uh, from pretty much every level. Obviously, limiting runs, limiting those hits, the the K-to-walk ratio is really nice. And they've been getting uh, some good length out of these guys. You know, when we started this season, we weren't really sure uh, whether pitch counts and things like that were going to lead to some like two, three, four inning starts. Um, and for the most part, you know, these guys have, have been able to give David Ross some length in, in these starts, uh, save for Darvish and in that first start and then Hendricks in that second start. But this was a really nice turn uh, through the rotation to get things going here for the Cubs. Alec Mills showcasing why he has potential as a starting pitcher. Corey, he threw a four-seamer, a sinker, a curve, a slider, a changeup. That's five pitches, and he wasn't just throwing a few of those pitches sporadically. In that start against Cincinnati, he threw a four-seamer once every four pitches, a sinker once every four pitches, a curveball, Corey, once every five pitches, a changeup once every five pitches, and then he sprinkled in his slider, kind of like a get-me-over slider as well to keep things off guard for the batters. That's a big deal because when we when we try to find guys who could be successful starters or just get through the order multiple times, having more than two pitches is almost a necessity unless you're vintage Quintana. Quintana, for a while, four-seamer, two-seamer, curveball and that, and that was it now he's trying to throw in that change up because he's getting a little bit older because the velo may not be where it was a couple years ago and we see the struggles with Q because of that but Mills has five pitches and when he's locating with those five pitches 
changing up speeds, using that curveball at times that's like in the mid to high 60s. It is so slow. Some of the slowest you'll see, if not the slowest at times in Major League Baseball. But all in all, that was what you wanted to see from Mills in his first start, if not more. And for Lester, he was locating. He was throwing a cutter 40% of the time in that start. He's throwing cutters at the kneecap to right-handed batters. The velocity is right where you thought it was going to be. High 80s, hitting 90 every now and then. But he's if he's locating, he's going to get outs. He's going to get weak contact. He's going to give up no hits, Corey. So all in all, the first two guys of this series, or rather the, the rotation in this series, was exceeding expectations. I think even for me, like I thought Mills would be good in his first time start, but again, seeing what he did in a shortened ramp up summer camp for not only him, but the rest of the starters, really impressive. Yeah, both of these guys just looked really good. I think just visually, uh, the location was there for John and Alec and, you know, in, in different ways, but you could just see like that they, they were commanding their pitches. They had a good feel for things. Um, and you know, Mills through like some of those changeups, man, I mean, they just look really good. He had the Reds hitters, yeah. uh, quite off balance and, you know, going to John's start, I think one thing, you know, he only gets the one strikeout, but one thing, you know, I think that you can tell when John is going right, even if he's not getting those whiffs, you know, he was getting some lazy fly balls and he has the ability and he's done this for, you know, the last couple of years to, if the ball's not flying out of the ballpark, he's fine to let guys hit fly balls all they want, you know, and, and let the guys in the outfield track him down. And that's completely fine by him. So, uh, even though he wasn't, you know, the, the strikeout total was only one, it wasn't significant at all. Uh, he, he still, for all those five innings, certainly looked well in command of his pitches, well in command of what he was doing to the Reds hitters. And like I said, after that game against the Twins, like you can just sort of tell, I think visually the difference between when guys are on what he's delivering and they're they're sitting on things and they're able to, you know, make a lot of hard contact versus when he's got them off balance and, and you can kind of see their gears spinning as they're trying to figure out exactly what John's going to bring. So I thought that was a really good start, obviously, uh, for John. And, and Mills was really good man. I think that that was, uh, you know, one of the things that is the most exciting or intriguing of this first run through the rotation for the Cubs is Chatwood and Mills pitching the way that they did. Uh, And you you have a long way to go and you, you can't just ride or, or coast on one start, but but those two delivered really good starts. And when we were talking about what were the keys to this season and, and things that we needed to see, one of those things was you, you need these guys to step up in the back end of the rotation. They're being given the opportunity and you need them to provide that length, you know, not be dipping into the bullpen all the time for obvious reasons. Uh, and they did better than that. I mean, they, they both delivered really, really nice games, uh, certainly gave the team, you know, in the offense, the opportunity to win. And they did more than that. They, they were both really good. And, and I think again, you know, Darvish ends up with, uh, the, through that first turn, not the, uh, the best start, right? But we know what he's capable of, and I, I think that we know he's going to be able to turn it on. So I'm really pleased, obviously, with the way that this uh, starting rotation has looked 
through these first five games. And, you know, look, Hendricks didn't have his command in that last game on Wednesday. It was pretty apparent, you know, uh, he gave up that early home run, that two-run home run uh, to Mike Moustakis. And, you know, you could see Hendricks had that reaction of like, shoot, that was not where I wanted that and obviously not the result I wanted. But uh, I, I think all things considered, you know, as we're kind of progressing through this podcast in the good, and then we'll get to the bad, the, the rotation looks really strong. And I, and I think that um, the optimism that, that we had for them certainly holding true through these uh, first few games. I think the rotation being so good and the bullpen being so bad kind of muted out what we saw this series from David Bodie. I know he had one home run in like mop-up duty, if you will, but so far... He's hitting, Corey, high fastballs. He had a bomb to the opposite field off of a 95-mile-per-hour high fastball. What were the issues last year? The issues were heavy, high heat. And if we go back and find even a, a slightly comparable home run from Bodie, it doesn't really exist. But the closest one is his walk-off home run against the Arizona Diamondbacks in 2018, right? That inside high fastball that he pulled onto Waveland. This was different, though. This was also a high fastball, but it was outside. It was a two-seamer coming back door, and he took it exactly where it came, and he just blasted it. And that was David Bodie's Achilles heel last year. Every pitcher tried to avoid throwing down-and-in fastballs or down-and-away fastballs. He's a he's a basically on-point low-ball hitter. It's that classic walk-off grand slam swing that he has, where he has a low ball swing. But if he continues to hit those high fastballs, like we just saw in one one plate appearance, that would shift the scouting reports drastically. So David Bodie looked good. Rizzo continues to look good. Another home run. I thought the at-bats from Javi continued to look good. That's not even talking about his double, his home run, but just the quality of the at-bat. I think Javi is just seeing the ball so well and that's going to contribute to more walks and maybe some better two-strike uh, at-bats that we've seen so far. Like, in, even in that first series, Javi's taking the ball to right field in two-strike uh, approaches. So I think, overall, the offense continues to look really good, and we saw Bodie kind of pop out of here with also some success, and Nico continues to have success. I don't know, that second-base position and with Ian Happ, those are the two holes that we identify going into the year. So far, so good from those two positions. Yeah, I, I think it's difficult to not be really encouraged by this offense. And and look, like in Wednesday's game, like Sonny Gray's good. He He's given a lot of teams fits, especially since he's come over to the Reds. So uh, that was, you know, kind of an expected tough outing. But this offense has looked really good in the majority of these games. And one of the things that we were looking at, again, like the the game against Sonny Gray kind of throws things off a little bit, but heading into that game, they had continued a trend that Brendan had brought up on last the last episode that we did of just how good this offense was grinding. And I, and I want to uh, look at that again. Going into the game before facing Sonny Gray, they were second in the league in pitches per plate appearance, trailing only the San Diego Padres. Uh, and the opposing starters for the Brewers and Reds in threw 352 pitches in just 17 innings, which is an average of 20.7 pitches 
per inning. So again, that's not the, the they didn't do well against Sonny Gray. I, I'm fully aware of that, but Sonny Gray has been good. Uh, and you know, especially with his particular pitch mix against some of these guys, it was a challenging uh, opponent for them to be facing. But in a lot of these games, the opposing starters have had a lot of trouble managing that pitch count going deep in games, and you've seen the Cubs get into that bullpen. And that has been a, it's it's a hallmark of good teams, and it's certainly been a hallmark of when this Cubs group or slight different variations of this Cubs group have been at their best, when they are really grinding out at bats and really forcing those pitchers to do a lot of work to get those outs. Uh, sometimes it's not as productive as others. You know, in the in those first couple games against the Brewers, they didn't score a lot of runs, but they were still making uh, Burns and Woodruff really work to get through the, only a, a few innings. And, and that's a key for this offense going forward. And that was good to see uh, in all these games, literally every game they played except against Sonny Gray. So I, I, think, that's, I think that's pretty good. And I think you'll allow them uh, a bad performance against a good pitcher here and there, right? I think that's fair to allow for an offense. But I think the thing that stands out to me is I... Uh, Nico Horner and Ian Happ have gotten the lion's share. It's only six games, but they've gotten the majority of the starts in center field and at second base, respectively. And I firstly really like that. I'm glad the way that David Ross is laying out these matchups. Uh, And I'm glad that both of those guys are, at least so far, doing a lot of things to keep it that way, right? Um, you know, it's it's sort of tough to look at numbers this early in a season, though that you kind of have to reconcile with the fact that after the game on Wednesday, we're 10% through this season, which is wild, right? Like it just started. Uh, so you kind of have to like recalibrate the way you look at everything. But, you know, coming out of these games, Hap's got an 865 OPS. Nico has an 813 OPS. We've seen Nico make a lot of contact, go up the middle a lot. He's driven in a, a good handful of runs. Hap has done the same using all the fields uh, we've seen Hap do, hitting some home runs. It's, to me, that is the best combination for those two pitcher or positions. And we, we, you and I have said that, Brendan, that that was kind of our ideal scenario is that those guys would be getting the majority of the playing time and hopefully they could take those positions and run with it. And it's only six games, but it's, it's just nice to see both of them have this early success rather than kind of create that um, question for David Ross. Like, okay, I gave these guys the, the, the early starts here and they're not really continuing to earn that playing time. You know, then he kind of has to reconcile getting other guys in there. And that's not what I think the ideal outcome is. I think this team is is better with Hap and Nico versus, say, Almora and Jason Kipnis. And that's not to say that those other two guys couldn't contribute or won't continue to contribute, but I, I think this team is going to obviously be in a better place if those two are getting the majority of the starts and Kipnis and Almora mm-hmm. are in more of that kind of uh, give those guys a day off, more matchup exclusive based starts, and you kind of let those guys handle those positions. But from just looking at Nico, I mean, I, I think we forget how young he is he's and, so and how yeah. impressive this is for what he's shown so far. You know, come he just turned twenty three. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's really impressive. And I, again, I think we talked about this after the Milwaukee series, but 
you know, just seeing him go up the middle and make that contact and drive and runs, he's going the opposite way. Uh, you know, he lined one, I think, for an RBI to the right of the second baseman a little bit. And just seeing him make that contact is exciting because, again, as we talked about, like he's one of those bats that this lineup has just kind of missed, right? Someone who just has an ability to make contact, get the barrel on the ball, put it in play, and make things happen. And that's what he's done. And, you know, he again, like he continues to look very comfortable in the field when we see things uh, from him, you know, interacting with the teammates and just going about things as a major leaguer. It's, it's very impressive for somebody that is his age and, you know, who kind of flew through the Cubs system to be here. Yeah, Nico, I feel is what the front office wanted Amora to kind of become over the past few years. And the reason I say that is because Nico has this really exceptional hit tool. And so far this year, he's making contact, Corey, 95% of the time against pitches inside the strike zone. And unlike last year, He's not swinging at balls outside the zone. So when he was called up last year, again, a small sample, but it does reflect what the eye test was showing us. Last year, Nico swung at a pitch outside the strike zone half the time, literally 50% of the time. This year, though, he's cut that down to 33%. That's basically league average hovering around league average. And you're dropping down your your swings outside the zone from once every two pitches to once every three pitches. That's a big deal. And what that's done is it's improved his overall contact rate. So now we're seeing his contact at 87%. That's well within the top tier of baseball. Right now, it would be in the top 90% of baseball. He's 23. He just turned 23 two months ago. And what we've seen without the traditional development timeline where he's going through triple a where he's developing a double a at his own pace we have not seen that he, he messed up his hand last year took some time off javi goes down because of an uh, ironically a hand injury and he gets thrust right into it and performs and performs well now he's adjusting on the fly and his peripherals are looking like a major league baseball player as a 23 year old with no development this is a huge boost to this team and when you couple that with Bodie and Ian Happ both having success early on, it might be kind of difficult to get all these guys consistent playing time when they're adjusting successfully. It might be difficult for us to do it, but it's a good problem to have. Yeah, absolutely. I've been been very impressed with Nico so far. And as we said, obviously glad that Happ has, has shown the success that he has so far, hoping that they keep that up. Uh, other notes with this offense, I mean, Rizzo looks incredible. Um, I, I think that kind of goes without saying. He just looks great in these these early goings. His back certainly looks fine, as uh, those of you who, who know he goes through this all the time. Probably we're not concerned about that. But every time it happens, there's always like a contingent of the fan base that freaks out that he's like injury prone or something. It's like he plays 150 games a year. Relax. Like this happens. It's fine. Um, but he's he looks great. As you said, Javi with a big series here. Um, he looks great. He's, you know, Javi Baez, I think he'll be great. Uh, Wilson Contreras continuing to look really good, continuing to kind of look like that guy that uh, we hoped he could be. Good to see, uh, you know, David Ross still doing that thing where him and Caratini kind of switching off, catching, uh, doing the DH thing, which I think will be important to keep Wilson fresh, uh, most importantly. 
And, you know, again, like, look, I, I think Chris had a better game on Wednesday. Uh, they said that, you know, he was dealing with some stuff in his elbow, whatever. I, he's, he'll be fine. I, I'm, I, again, like, you're just listening to the wrong podcast if you want us to freak out about Chris Bryant. It's just not really going to happen. If he's healthy, he'll be fine. And as far as we know, he's healthy other than, you know, some bumps and bruises. He did have that back thing at the end of summer camp. Um, but he'll be fine. His defense has been great. Uh, fake triple play, you know, notwithstanding. <laughs> his, his, he's gotten a lot of yeah. chances over there at third. He's looked really good, uh, very strong throws, made a lot of really nice stops, um, and he'll be great at the plate, uh, just like he always is. So uh, that's kind of the, the story with the offense. But before we get into the bullpen, I, I do just want to point out, and I, I guess I'll just ask you, Brendan, like, it seems to be something that is a common sentiment on, amongst a lot of the people that I follow on Cubs social media and, and some of the writers as well. And even Tom Brenneman, the Reds broadcaster, commented on this. But the vibe, the energy, whatever word you want to use to describe it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use vibe. Uh, it's different with this team. Do you agree with that from afar? We're not in the clubhouse. Nobody, I mean, really, even the reporters aren't in the clubhouse. But uh, it, it feels different with this group. When, when when we talked so much about 2019, and I think a lot of you would agree, like even watching that team last year was a bit of a slog, right? Like there were just times where it was like kind of exhausting to watch them. And, and I think we talked about a lot of why that was. The predominant reason was just knowing like, I'm pretty sure this team is better than this. Like I'm pretty sure this team shouldn't be running into outs on the bases every five minutes. Uh, and, you know, dropping a, a series to some of the worst teams in the league, then going on a heater, then playing god-awful baseball for a while. Like, it was just kind of exhausting, and it, it didn't feel like we felt with this team in other years. But but this group feels like they are uh, vibing, Brendan. And, and like I said, even Tom Brenneman commenting on how loud the Cubs dugout is, I, I think he said— like it, it gives off like the vibe of like a high school team. And he said, I don't mean that in a, in a derogatory way. I mean that in a way like these are, some of these guys are millionaires and they're showing up to the ballpark and they're, you know, doing chants, they're doing claps, like they are doing everything that they can to stay engaged in these games without fans and, and in this weird scenario. But you can hear them on the broadcast. Like that's not, that that's, that's a common sentiment, right? That this kind of feels different. We do want to mention our two sponsors, Deal Dash and Bet Online. Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you never expect at a price you never believe. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that the auction clock restarts every 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, DealDash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon sign up on top of their other discount. DealDash.fm backwards slash blue wire. That is D-E-A-L-D-A-S-H dot F-M backwards slash blue wire. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball and the Cubs are finally kicking off their season, 
And there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the ads, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24 7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven time NBA champ Robert Ori. See what they had to say and what it will be like playing without fans in a series that they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up to date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. Bet online, your online wagering experts. I've watched the Angels game. The energy is not the same as the Cubs. So I think you do have to point towards David Ross for, for that effect. That being said, though, I do think what we're seeing in the first six games is everyone just healthy and clicking at the same time. And if we look at 2019 and even parts of 2018, they were so just uh, disjointed throughout the season because Schwarber last year was not good in the first half. Contreras hurt his hamstring in the second half. Javi broke his thumb, had a heel issue basically for three quarters of the year last year. Rizzo missed time, hurt his ankle at the tail end of 2019, and KB had that lingering shoulder and knee issue. So all in all, the Cubs, and this is not to like make excuses, I'm not saying that, but timeline, we've never seen this team healthy and clicking all at once. We've never seen that. And we are so far. We're seeing Schwarber, Contreras, Rizzo, Javi, the four of the top five, and once KB joins that... You're going to see everyone clicking at one time. And this is the danger of this lineup. This is why we get excited talking about the team's potential. Because we know one through five, when they're healthy, when they're clicking, probably on par with the best teams. Even the Dodgers. The Dodgers, of course, are a deeper offensive team. But for the Cubs, they have Contreras, who's the best hitting catcher in the league. And you have Javi continuing to make adjustments. And you have Schwarber, who in the second half of 2019... His weighted on base average, Corey, was over 400. He had a better second half than Nick Castellanos. He was the best left fielder hitting uh, left fielder in the league last year. So this this is what happens when everyone is clicking all at once. And then you combine that with the energy and the attitude and the demand that Ross does bring to the team. You're seeing it all click. And I, I, I think you have to be excited about it. But at the same time, I don't think you're that surprised. Like I'm not that surprised we're seeing this. If anything, I would be shocked if we were not seeing this team behave like that high school baseball team. Yeah, I, I, I just think it's it's very noticeable. And, and, you know, maybe it's just because like there's no fans and things are louder. But I, as I've said, like, I don't, I don't always want to turn things into a Joe Madden versus David Ross thing, but yeah, we're not. Yeah, it's hard. I, it's hard to not do that too. Sometimes. Yeah, and I, and I think especially because this is the first we're seeing of David Ross, it is hard not to compare those things. And look, like when the Cubs decided to move on from the manager that won them their first World Series since 1908, which was in 2016, by the way, the Chicago Cubs yeah. won the World Series. Yeah, yeah this and you know, I I think it's worthwhile to sometimes explore why that might have been and and like is that looking like a good decision right like and i and i think so far it is i will tell you if you wade into angels twitter multiple games where they're wondering why the pitcher has been taken out so early because then the bullpen blows it and i'm reading it going huh i've seen this movie before uh happy to not be watching it again even though the, the cubs bullpen is bad but we haven't had uh pulling the starter to get to the bad bullpen early problems uh but 
I, I just think that what we're seeing is, I, I, I think when, when everybody talked about and, and so much of, of the idea was, you know, that maybe it was just time for a change and that, that Madden's message, which was perfect uh, for those early Cubs teams and the team that wins the World Series, just kind of got stale and just wasn't right for this group anymore. And I, I you know, I think that that is kind of reflected in everybody that watches this team relentlessly feeling like there's a different energy with things right now. Um, I, I just think that that appears, it, it can't be a coincidence that so many people who cover this team and who, you know, fans who watch this team religiously are all kind of thinking that same thing, right? Like these guys seem to be a little looser. They seem to be having a little more fun, uh, but in a way that is translating to them being more engaged with what's going on on the field and and the game that day and you know you Javi talked about this after I think the game on Tuesday where he was just like Rizzo's going crazy in the dugout with the stuff that he he's doing and the energy that he wants us to bring um David Bodie said that before every game he tells Javi do that thing the fans love which is just adorable I I mean I don't know how you can't love that um there was a good gif uh, in the game on Monday, I believe, when David Bodie came back to the dugout after his first home run of the season, where Rizzo was kind of like really dramatically leading a slow clap as Bodie came back in there. And just listen, man. I mean, you can hear them. It's it's really it reminds me of, you know, working for the team in college. But uh, you know, every ball they're they're cheering, every foul ball they're saying something, every you know, stolen base or whatever it is, they're all over it, right? Like, you know, the, the like pickoff move back from the dugout, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like, and again, none of this is like the first time any of this has happened, right? Like, uh, it's, it's not to suggest that, but it just, it, they, they, they feel like they have a renewed energy about them in, in the, in the dugout, in the clubhouse. It just feels different. And I, I, again, like I, it just doesn't seem like a coincidence that certain things have yeah. changed. And that a lot of people who are really dialed into this team uh, seem to be picking up on that. Now, starting four and two and, and scoring as many runs as they have in, in uh, you know all these games certainly helps that, right? Like that's a, definitely a way to stay engaged if you're an offense. But I, I, I do think that like tangibly, it just feels different. Like, uh, and again, like I, I honestly like. I, Tom Brenneman sucks, right? Like he's, uh, you know, enough already. He's always complaining about the Cubs. And for him to say that, it was a pretty lengthy quote in that one broadcast, um, just about how you you do have to hand it to these guys that like, there's guys in this dugout who have won a World Series. They've accomplished a lot, a lot more than plenty of other players in Major League Baseball. And right now they're the loudest. They're the most engaged. They're the ones that are seemingly you know, bringing the most energy to these games. So I think that's, you know, I, I think that that's exciting. I mean, you want to hear that, right? Like you you want them to be the ones doing that. It's, you know, them yelling in the dugout doesn't automatically translate to anything tangible on the field, but a, a better vibe, a better energy, uh, more engaged is what you want to see. And again, like when you think back to 2019, like there are many, many times where I would not have described this team as like having a lot of fun and exuding that like confidence and energy and and whatever. Like, and that's how it feels right now. So I think that's I think that that really bodes well. And again, like 
even as, you know we talked to Jordan Bastian last week like even he you know they're not in the clubhouse they they are limited in who they can interview and stuff like that so you're kind of looking at all this from afar but it would be difficult not to think that that is in large part due to David Ross uh and of course Anthony Rizzo who everybody says is you know basically like leading the charge here and I, I got to tell you Brennan like especially with no fans like so they don't cut to the fans as much as the, uh, they don't cut to the fans at all uh, except if there's like you know the cutouts or whatever they do you know a little bit of that but instead of getting all of those shots of the crowd and people eating nacho helmets and whatever else they used to cut to they just cut to the dugout and I find myself like really excited for it like when one of the guys hits a home run I can't wait for them to cut to the dugout because Mm. they're they're just like they're not clowning around but like they look like they're having fun and that's what leads to the best gifts right like you know Rizzo just doing all this stuff in the dugout so it's it looks to be a really nice vibe in that dugout right now and I hope that they're able to keep that up for the remainder of this 60 game season speaking of good vibes let's talk about the bullpen guys yeah all right the Cubs bullpen um Oh, did I say good vibes? Sorry, I meant uh, really, really bad vibes. Um, Brendan, where do you even want to start with this? I think one thing that I would like to do is go through the names of who is in the bullpen right now and just kind of look at how we're feeling about them in particular. I think we can kind of put guys Yeah, yeah, I like that. I think we can put guys in different categories of, of where we're kind of seeing them. But like... First, I, I do want to point out the Cubs did make a roster move. Dylan Maples is down. That was on Thursday afternoon. Uh, Colin, is it Ray or Rhea? I should have looked this up, but I didn't. So we're, we're going to go with Ray today. We'll go with Ray today. And it's 100% going to be Rhea. If, it's, if Brendan Probably, and I have yeah. a 50-50 shot, it's like a push-pull door. We will get it wrong. <laughs> Um, no doubt. But so Dylan Maples, just a disaster of an outing on Wednesday, and that is it for him for now. Uh, but reading this this stat from Sadev Sharma, The Athletic, the Cubs bullpen has walked 20 of the 95 batters they faced, which is a 21.1% walk rate. Their ERA is 9.64, Okay. Uh, the Cubs bullpen out of 95 batters has walked 20 of them. And in, in basically every game, just been a complete nightmare. Some guys are skating through, some guys aren't. Um, but what I, what I want to do is let's maybe look at this roster and we can kind of I guess the easiest way to do this, Brendan, is when you look at this group as it is right now, so now with with Colin Ray in the mix uh, and not Dylan Maples, everything else is still as it was on opening day. Can you give me a few guys, a handful of guys, maybe it's zero. I don't know. You tell me. Uh, Who would you put, let's, let's maybe do three groups. Who is in the group like you trust them? to a degree. They could be considered for high leverage spots. You trust them to just at the very least not be a complete disaster. I'm not saying that they're going to be elite, not saying that they're going to, you know, win the reliever of the year award, but who is in that category of, okay, I trust these guys. This should maybe be that top tier group in what order? Maybe I don't know, but this is the, the, the group that we're going to trust uh, to 
close games or, or hold tight leads. Corey, I think like even in six games, and I know that's not something you want to hear, but like truth being, it's it's hard to figure that out. I think what we've seen from Rowan Wick in uh, one inning of work has been good. He was uh, locating his fastball well. The curveball looked good. I still think Dwayne Underwood has looked good. I don't like the command at times, and that's contributing to the home runs he's given up, but I still am pretty optimistic about that fastball changeup combination. Ryan Tapera looked good. Two innings. I know he gave up the home run, but he struck it out every one of his, his outs recorded. Outside of those guys, yeah, it is hard to find some some pitchers that are making you excited. I get that. It's still, though, only one or two innings and well, in extreme samples like Dylan Maples. And yeah, even Craig Kimbrell, that is concerning. But for the other pitchers we've seen, I still think we need more time well, so let, so let me bring. ask you, though, in a 60-game season, how much time is more time to you when you say well, that? Well, what are you trying—but here's the thing, though, Corey. You have a bunch of—you have, what, 15, 16 pitchers on the roster. Most of those guys on the pen have not performed, right? Like, we've seen every one of them get a chance. And when I say not perform, I'm talking about lights out, like— Throwing yeah. normal velocity. Everyone's about one and two miles per hour down in the bullpen, by the way. And I'm not saying, you know, they're everyone's pitching bad, but they're not pitching how we expected them to pitch. Every single one of them. That's just that's just a fact right now. Who are you gonna throw in then? If you're not gonna trust Underwood, are you gonna trust Tapera because he has you know six strikeouts, even though he gave him a home run? Well, on the other hand, Underwood's had some strikeouts too and has also given up some home runs, but do you still see the stop? I I don't know. I, I don't think you can make a confident projection of who should be in the back of the bullpen. Does that mean we should stick with the status quo? Maybe that is an argument for it. Maybe you do have to stick with these guys and their mental psyche and that may have an effect. I, I, I don't know. That's my answer to you is I don't know. I can tell you what I want to happen, and I want to see Wick continue to get those spots. I've always been interested in Paris. why I asked Jordan Bastion about him, why he was not on the roster, and the answer was he had a slow ramp-up period. So that's a concern with Kyle Ryan, who also had a slow ramp-up period. He's getting outs, but he has not looked like he did last year because he's throwing three miles per hour slower. Yeah. I don't know, man. Like, I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I don't I don't have the right answer. Um, I was just sort of asking where you stood on this because, like, as I said, I mean, after when, as the Cubs sit at 4-2, and two, they played 10% of the games that they're going to play. Um, that's a significant portion. And I think it's it's a really tough, and we, we talked about this. I mean, we knew that this was going to be a hurdle for David Ross in the front office. I, I, I don't know that anybody has the right answer on how how short the leash should be, how quick you should be making these changes. Um, I, you know, I think some of these guys, it's a little more obvious. Like, I don't think anybody is going to argue that Dylan Maples shouldn't have been sent back to South Bend. This is the same look we've seen from him every time he comes up. Uh, I said yeah. when he made the opening day roster that I was pretty surprised that they were going to try this out again, and it looked exactly like it always does. Um but no, I, I mean, I get it. For some of these guys, you do. It's it's a it's a really tough balance, man. Like you 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 know that 
any player, offensive or uh, pitching, you know, you need more than one game or two games to maybe get things going or to uh, really figure things out or have things click, whatever it might be, right? But I, I do think it's, again, I don't have the answer, and each of you listening may have your own answer to this, but it's a tricky balance, man, because like right now, they they have gotten lucky, I think, in anyone's opinion. This bullpen has not literally lost them any games, right? I think you could argue that they've let games get away from them. So, you know, kind of removing, I think certainly that loss to the Brewers stands out as, as one, the bullpen, you know, it's it's four to three, and then the bullpen kind of lets that one slip away. Even that loss to the Reds, really both of the losses, you know, the Cubs, the Cubs cut it to four, uh, a four run deficit, I think in the seventh in the game on Wednesday, and then they immediately give up more runs, and that's kind of pushed even further, you know, for, are they going to come back from that? I don't know. But in this offense, Great American Ballpark, it was at least manageable, right? And the bullpen immediately kind of pushes that out of manageable as quickly as they can. But they haven't literally blown any games. The Cubs have not lost any games that they were winning because the bullpen came in and blew it. But I think that's lucky, right? Given how many walks they've issued and how many runs they've given up. And I mean, again, that game on Monday was... (laughs) as close to a loss uh, as it possibly could have been without being a loss. But I, I do think that's an interesting question. For for me right now, the guys that are, are in at, at least just that, that I, I feel okay about them group. I'm, I'm not thinking about them being part of the shuttle or anything like that. To me, that group is Wick, Tapera, Ryan, Sadler, and uh, Jeffress. Again, am I saying any of those guys are great, you know, going to be elite high leverage relievers? I I do believe that of Wick. Um, And Kyle Ryan has has shown himself to be very good. Got to get that velo back up. Uh, You know, that's obviously not where you want to be, especially for, you know, someone that's not throwing as hard as him. But that's the group that I feel like okay about, right? Like I think Sadler's one we talked about. Like he's not a guy in his career that's had a high walk rate. Is he the most exciting reliever? No, but we're looking for guys that can throw strikes, right? That in an, you know, what were the Cubs up in that game uh, on Monday? Eight to one, seven to nothing, whatever it was. Like guys that can come in and throw strikes as opposed to walking a bunch of guys and l- closing the gap because that's what happened on Monday. You had a bunch of guys come in that could not throw strikes, guys getting on base, the Reds chipping away, and almost winning that game. Uh, I think Tapera is interesting. We've talked about him, you know, giving up the home run, but I, I do think that he's one of the more interesting guys and one of the guys that I'm willing to like let him work through and, and, and see what's there because I just sort of believe in it more than the others. Um, and then, you know, it kind of ranges from there, right? Like I, we'll talk about, let's talk about Kimbrell separately. We'll talk about him at the end. Um, you know, I think Norwood's been interesting, He, you know, for a, a little while now. But again, like, command's not there. It's a problem we've seen before. How long of a leash do you want to have there? Uh, you look at someone like Brothers. Brothers doesn't look good to me. I would be, you know, okay if he's part of, you know, whatever their next shuttle is. I, I, he's not one of those guys that I really need to see. 
um, work through that much command. Uh, you know, again, so a lot of these guys, like the command has been an issue. It looks like an issue. It, it's kind of hard to justify how long of a leash you're going to give them to try to figure out something that they've never really shown an ability to figure out. Um, I agree with you. I think Underwood's interesting, disappointed to see the the long ball there, but he did throw, uh, you know, two clean innings in that game on Wednesday, got two strikeouts, no hits, no walks. So I think that's, you know, obviously an improvement and he has a bit of an advantage on others because he can go multiple innings and is someone that you might be able to look at to kind of piggyback or kind of pick you up in those spots. Um, you know, so that that's kind of where I am. That group that I listed is, again, like my expectations for each of them might, you know, widely differ, but I think that group is the like, okay, like let's keep these guys, you know, hopefully they can like improve some of them, but I feel okay about them. Everybody else I'm pretty iffy on. And to me, and I could be wrong about this, but I I don't know who has a definitive right answer. Like I would be, I'm kind of surprised that we only have the one move. Uh, maybe we see more when they get back to Chicago and they're, you know, game planning for this Pittsburgh series. Um, you know, the move with, you know, Maples was on Thursday. I don't know if they have more planned, but I, to me, man, like I would get churning on some of these guys pretty quickly. I mean, I think like, you know, someone like brothers, like I got, if he's going to be here, I got one more outing, right? And if it's not there, you got to try something else. I, I, I know that, I know what you're saying with the expanded playoff field. I, I, I get it. And, you know, I know that even though it's a, a much shorter season, you know, we're still only six games in there. There is, a you know, still some runway here. But to me, like, just with the way this division has played in the last couple of years with, uh, you know, not being... As, as we talked about, like, you know, the, the first turn through the rotation was good, but like, are you positive that Chatwood and Mills are going to be, you know, able to deliver that every turn? Like, I don't know, like the, the like some of these guys, if it's not there, I would be trying somebody else and, and, and giving them a shot to at least come in and provide some stability, right? Like this isn't a thing where you're, you're going to throw Colin Ray out there. And if he's not lights out, it, it's a disappointment. Like just come in and throw strikes, man, like just give us something to work with here. Okay. Like, and give us something to work with in terms of like putting together the hierarchy of this bullpen in in terms of like, okay, this guy's a mop up guy. This guy's a mid leverage guy. This guy's a high leverage guy. Like we just need to kind of like try to sort of sort some of these pieces into their spot right now. I think that's, that's what we're trying to do. So I think we kind of differ on that. I'm, I'm, I think I'm for a a pretty short leash here. I, I just think, you know, you've got some of these guys who you're hoping that they find a command that sometimes they've they've never really shown that much of an ability to have. Again, that's that's why I was sort of perplexed with Maples. I'm well aware of the stuff that he has. I'm well aware of the velo that he has, the the nasty slider that he has. Um, you know, we talk about it every time he comes up. But I mean, how many times? I mean, we've seen that every time. Right. So it just I, I think there's a little a little too much, you know, hoping that certain guys are gonna do things that they've never really shown an ability to be able to figure out. So for some of them my my leash would be pretty short and I would give the opportunity to somebody else. And and it's it's kinda like Ross said, like, you know, he said we need guys to come up and 
take command and, and do the job and step up. And, and that's kind of where I'm looking at it. It's like, you know, okay, like I can give you, you know, two, three outings, whatever it might be, depending on how this all shakes out. But like either step up or we're going to try somebody else. You know, you have this taxi squad for a reason. I would be using it. Uh, you know, obviously you got to deal with, uh, you know, the roster moves and transactions and stuff like that. But I I would be in my opinion, a little more loose with, okay, like you're not bringing it. We're going to give somebody else this shot. Cause this, I mean, again, they're, they're very lucky that this bullpen has not put them in a worse spot to start this season. I think the fact that they're four and two with the way that this bullpen has looked is really fortunate for, for this team. Cause it's been terrible, Brendan. I, I don't think you can, it, and I don't even think it's the worst bullpen in the league. Like I think pitching in general is a bit of a mess across the league, which I think is to be expected uh, given the circumstances here and, you know, the shutdown, the quick ramp up, et cetera. But this has been a mess and I, I just would be trying my best to find stable solution i don't know man um yeah i mean the alternative to sending down or getting rid of rex brothers would be whom would it be Corey abbott would it be tyson miller how confident are you in justin Steele, jack patterson these are great prospects great pitches but it's about what you can expect and unlike those guys like Justin Steele and Corey Abbott and Tyson Miller, the Cubs have had a closer look at Rex Brothers, at the other guys within their own summer camp, and they made the decision based on what they saw that it might be able to translate. So if you if you like get rid of Rex Brothers now, and I'm not saying I love Rex, I'm not saying that, but if you get rid of him now, you're you may lose depth. You may lose out on what you thought you had just a week ago. That's it. Just a week ago, we were talking about Rex Brothers and that 97, 98 mile per hour fastball. I don't know what happened to it since opening day started, but he's only throwing 94, 95, 96. I don't know what happened to it, but he's not throwing 97, 98 anymore. So I guess like that's where I come from is we can have a short leash and I'm all about having a short leash if it makes sense. If the alternative slaps you in the face and says, yes, this makes 100% sense. I don't know if we see that. We have a bunch of minor leaguers who were not even getting paid, Corey, like they were struggling to get paid. And so what does that mean for their training resume? What does it mean for their ramp up period? Are they ready to go? You have an organization philosophy across the league that you're not going to pay your minor leaguers, dude. So like, how can I be confident that they're ready to go in and face Joey Votto, a former MVP, that they're ready to go face Christian Yelich? Yeah. I don't have that confidence. No, I right I, I got you, man. I, again, like I don't, I I definitely don't think I'm I'm sitting here correct or, or that that's it's just from from where I'm sitting, the sofa that I'm sitting on watching these games. I I'm just like I would be a little more aggressive with uh, churning through some of these guys, or at I would least be aggressive. With, I would be at aggressive least preparing to be more aggressive. Like I I just yeah, I, I I just. It, it doesn't necessarily have to be today. They didn't have to send five guys down and bring five new guys, you know, or anything like that. But I just, like, I wouldn't do this much longer with some of these guys. I think you're just, you know, you're really playing with fire 
Um, and I mean, it's just been quite bad. I think that's that's really what it, it stems from. It's just like this is a pretty aggressive level of uh, walks and runs and just an inability to move through innings. And a lot of these guys have been brought in in pretty harmless scenarios. You know, I mean, for so many of these guys to have an inability to just move things along on Monday when the Cubs were up by several runs is just a little bit frightening. Um yeah, I mean, yeah, I think quite simply, like if a group is incapable of taking over after your starter throws five scoreless, hitless innings, and the offense ends up putting up eight runs, like I, you know, you've got a bit of a bit of a problem. But all right, so let's let's end, I guess, by talking about where we feel about Craig Kimbrell after one outing. What are we thinking? What are we feeling? Um, I I was you know expressed more concern than you Brendan uh but that was more with the the long ball not necessarily such a wild inability to control any of his pitches uh as we saw on Monday um but obviously my level of concern with him is now at a pretty alarming rate uh what we saw on Monday was I keep using the phrase, but really an unmitigated disaster. Uh, Kimbrell comes in to protect a three-run lead, uh, goes a third of an inning, two runs, four walks. Um, Yeah, so this was super not good, Brendan, um, to put it pretty lightly. And... I'm pretty concerned about this. Uh, the you know the velo was better than we've seen at times, but again, my concern with him remains that he has done nothing but be bad in a Cubs uniform. And you know the numbers were a little concerning towards the end of that run with the Red Sox as well. And this just wasn't good. And you look at how many curveballs he threw on Monday. The Reds didn't swing at any of them. And there can be a number of reasons for that, but that's not good when a team is just not offering at one of your pitches, and you need that pitch to build on the other and and vice versa. So my concern level with him is pretty high. Uh, I was also, you know, for as much as we have praised David Ross in this early going, uh, and again, similar to how we dealt with Joe Madden, like at, at times you do have to remember that this bullpen that's been given to them is not good. It's, you know, basically handing somebody a turd and hoping them to, you know, be shine it up real nice for you, right? Like, so in in both respects at times even if they make right or wrong decisions like they've been dealt a pretty bad hand right but this was way way too long to leave Kimbrel in this game i i could not believe that david ross was going to just watch him he didn't give up any hits brendan i mean and and we're just standing there watching him piss the game away i, I it's it's early and it's impossible right to look at that and go oh he should have brought in this guy because you know it's all been kind of a mess wick had already pitched right uh but to just sit there while he's walking the world and they're just gonna tie or win the game without doing anything was not good so hopefully uh you know it's early in his managerial career but i i would certainly hope that that was a bit of a learning experience on monday for david ross because that was way too long of a leash and it, it just looking at it from the outside way too much deference to the fact that craig kimbrell is a future hall of famer uh you know and, and going to be regarded as as one of the better closers of all time doesn't matter 
right in in a in a in a vacuum and in this in 2020 when he's walking everybody i i don't care if he's a future hall of famer right like you need a shorter leash he didn't have it it was obvious he didn't have it 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 just shouldn't have gone on that long but my my concern i'm alarmed with this i would say i'm at like whatever you know code red red alert whatever you want to call this i feel pretty awful about uh kimbrell at this point his release points all over the place his command was terrible and it's tough for me to be confident in a guy who, when we're looking at it on Monday, he can't throw strikes. And you're sitting there going, you know, just throw strikes. And then I'm thinking in my head, well, the last time he was able to throw strikes, he was just getting donged all over the ballpark. So I, I don't know. And and maybe you can talk me out of it, talk yourself out of it. I don't know how you're feeling. We, we, we you know, we obviously talked a little bit about uh, this game on Monday night, but we didn't really delve too much into like what should be happening with Kimbrell. I don't know, but I'm, look, I'm much closer to preferring that he not be given the next save opportunity than I am to feeling confident in that. That That's where I would put that. And and you can call that an overreaction if you want, uh, but it's a 60-game season, and Kimbrell has not been good at all for the Cubs since he came over. So to me, I, I just don't feel like waiting too much longer, if longer at all, to see if this happens. Though I will say, I do feel better about giving Kimbrel more of an opportunity to figure things out, perhaps not in the highest of leverage spots, than I do with some of these other guys, right? That is where I would say, okay, like he at least does have the pedigree. If you can get it going, his ceiling, even at his age and this point in his career, is certainly higher than some of these other guys. But I'm quite concerned. Talking about Kimbrel is difficult because the struggles he's had have been attributed to different reasons. Last year, he got hurt twice. He had a knee injury. He had an elbow injury. This year, this first outing, very concerning, dude. Very con- It's the type of extreme outing that you can't ignore. And it's extreme because his release point was lower than at any point over the last five years. That's that's a type of extreme that you can't ignore even in a one-inning sample. But that is not what we saw last year. That is not why Kimbrell struggled last year. That's why I say it's difficult talking about Kimbrell because many people just bunch together all of his struggles and say, there's one cause for this, and he sucks. And I don't think it's that simple. I don't think there's one particular reason that we can point to and determine this is why he's not doing well. And that, to me, despite the extreme first outing, is enough to wait back just one or two more outings and see if this extreme release point, the extreme lack of command is going to carry over. Corey, if it does not improve, though in that next outing. I'll be ringing the alarm with you, dude. I'm like close to it now because what I saw was so jarring. Like I cannot emphasize that more. The fact that we saw mechanics that we have not seen from Kimbrough in five years, that's that's not good. I don't I don't know what the issue is there. I don't know if it's just a wacky season, but not good, dude. That being said, if he comes back next outing and he's throwing within his mechanics that we've seen the last four years, and he's still throwing 95, 96, 97, as we saw in that first outing, 
then I think what will happen is the curveball will come back and sink. I know a lot of talk about the curveball. Got no whiffs with it. 15 times he threw it. No whiffs. I get it. That's just because he had no command. The pitch sucked. He was thrown with a release point with mechanics that were completely out of whack. Not surprised whatsoever. So if they can fix that, figure out why that happened, and in the next outing, if it looks better, then I think we can take a step foot off the corner of the ship. But if it continues to look this bad, I'm jumping off. Yeah, again, this is another tough one. I mean, this is all sort of the same issue, which is you are trying to reconcile that, you know, you know some of the, in a normal season, I'd be concerned about this, but obviously I would not be ready to do anything about it. Um, But I just, it's it's a short season. I know we keep harping on that, but I feel like it's important to illustrate. Like there, you know, there, we're already in the fifties with how many games are left, right? So I think you just have to be proactive, more proactive at the very least than you otherwise would be, obviously. Can I make one counterpoint to that though? Sure. I'm not saying I agree with it, but it is something that I've thought about with these pitchers, right? especially Campbell, they need to make adjustments and they need to make it fast. It might be more difficult to make that adjustment mentally if you're removed from a role that you've secured for a decade. And moving Campbell because of one, two, or three starts to a seventh inning role, to an eighth inning role, maybe that, as a result, delays the adjustments he might end up making. I mean, the mental side of things is so unquantifiable but so severe and so dramatic for some of these players and I do wonder if you move Cambrough out of that role will that hinder the adjustments he needs to make from a mental standpoint now I'm not saying keep him in the role I'm not saying that I genuinely don't know but the thought has passed my mind if you take him out of that role are the adjustments just never going to happen then we'll never know right we will never have that answer but it is in my mind yeah, I again like to me you you just approach a dangerous category where you brought him over and a, a vast majority of what he's done is just blow games for you and it just to me gets to a point where it's just like okay, well, how long are we going to let Craig Kimbrell blow games because they're paying him a lot of money because he's Craig Kimbrell, right? Like if his if if he wasn't making this much money and this wasn't his name, how long would you let a guy perform like this before you said, yeah, like I, I don't know? And you know, even to your point about the mental adjustments, like it again, it gets to a point where it's like I, I care about the team. I, I I know that him being good That's part of the team. Though, I know. Yeah, I, he needs I know to that. Be good for the Cubs to be. But good. I, but so I'm, I'm saying, saying like that. at a certain point, it's it's the same as anybody else. It's like, dude, step up, or we need to find somebody else I'd, like I don't have time I, I get it I, I to I be worrying about concept. Craig Kimbrell like as if he's the only player on the team you know like figure it out or get out of here dude or like go in the sixth inning like it's just I, I don't know I, I just when he came in with a three-run lead you and I were texting each other and I I was like I could so live without this and it just got worse by the pitch Uh, so I don't know I'm I'm really unsure it's a very tough spot and it certainly would be a a, a much easier spot if you had somebody that was obvious where you could be like okay this guy should be in this role and you know we shouldn't ask any questions about it I I think Rowan Wick is probably the most likely candidate for that as we go forward he has concerns too though it's not as if Rowan Wick is throwing as he did last year. He's throwing a mile and a half slower as sure. well. So it's 
this this is the point I'm I'm making. Like, it's a Craig dumpster Kimbrough, fire. That's the point we're all making. This whole thing yeah, is a well, dumpster. Right now, right now it is. Like, yeah. There's this. There's no other way to describe it. But Craig Kimbrell, he is a future Hall of Famer, man. And like, environment is important to make adjustments in an environment. And when I say environment, I mean the sixth or seventh inning weird enough, may not be that valuable. Maybe he needs to make those adjustments in that type of environment, which is a closing role. And I know it's very uncomfortable, but I think it's a conversation that only he and David Ross can have. You and I can argue about this. We can debate this, but at and the end of the day, we're, we're both not right. We're not right. We have no idea. We're outsiders well, looking at the have I'm no probably idea. Right, but... <laughs> but- <laughs> but, but I mean, like, if Craig Kimbrell can make these adjustments in a sixteen role, yeah, of course, I'm with you. But I, I do wonder if that's if that's even possible. It's, it's, we'll never know the answer. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I just, uh, again, like, I, you know, I, I'm not like, I'm not calling him done. I'm not saying his career's over, but I'm very sick of watching him pitch like this for the Chicago Cubs. Uh, and in my mind he had better figure it out pretty quickly. Um, and, you know, to like, I, I, and, you know, look, like we, we say this all the time, like a manager is not going to throw their players under the bus or not going to say, you know, anything like they don't need to divulge everything to the media. But like David Ross, after that one on Monday saying like, oh, he's got to shake off some of the rust. Like, okay. You know, like I, in that case, he's been rusty since last July. You know what I mean? Like, come on now. Like, all right. So let's preview this series against the Pirates at Wrigley Field. The first game Friday at 7.15 p.m. Central Time. We have you Darvish being pushed back, who was going to start that series finale against the Reds. He'll get the game one nod against Trevor Williams of the Pirates. Williams in his first start, lost, gave up a few runs. And then on two, on Saturday, the second game of the series, we have Tyler Chatwood in his second outing facing Pittsburgh's Mitch Keller. And then in the third game, to finish off the sets on Sunday, we have a start time of 1.20 p.m. And Pittsburgh has not announced a starter yet, but we do have John Lester on the mound for the Cubs, his second time out, looking to still allow no hits. We'll see if that continues. Uh, Pittsburgh is 2-4. and four. The Cubs are 4-2. and two. They still remain in first place of the division. What I'm looking for is just, as we've just talked, as we talked about, is that bullpen. Kimbrell is going to get another chance out there. We got to see the release point get back up. Other than that, status quo with the lineup. I love what we're seeing at second base with center field with Ian Happ, a more in more of a supplemental role. And outside of the obvious, Corey just continue to win. We got Kansas City after this, so this is an opportunity to make some room in the division. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, like I, I think you you have concerns, but every team across the league, you know, right now is is still trying to figure out how to navigate a season like this, trying to get everybody ready and you know, kind of feeling normal. So you're going to have to go through these things. But four and two, sitting atop the division, coming home to play a, a weaker Pittsburgh team, you know, I think the the presumptive weakest team in this division. Again, hopefully just continue racking up those wins. And, you know, as we said, like important to get off to a good start, build up those wins so that you can deal with these issues and not be worried about digging yourself out of a hole as it relates to the division or a playoff spot or whatever, even with the expanded playoffs. So it's been a good start for this team on the whole, uh, especially in terms of winning baseball games, which is the point. Uh, So just 
get back home, continue that, keep that nice vibe that we were talking about going. And uh, that's that's really what I'm looking for here. And, I, you know, obviously would love to see you Darvish shove after not uh, being at his best in that first start. But other than that, I think that is all that we have. It's 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 been an interesting first couple series here, but the Cubs are winning games. And that is what I think is the most important takeaway here. So we will talk to you again after the Cubs and Pirates wrap up their weekend series at Wrigley Field. We will record on Sunday after the game. You'll hear it late on Sunday and early on Monday morning. As always, thank you guys for listening to the Cubs Related Podcast, and we always end by saying, Go Cubs! If you have loved ones that rely on your income, you need life insurance. But finding the best quote shouldn't take a lifetime. With Policy Genius, you could save 50% or more by comparing quotes from America's top insurers. First, head to policygenius.com. In minutes, Policy Genius will compare prices starting at as little as $1 a day. You might even be eligible to fast track your coverage with a no exam policy. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team handles all the paperwork and red tape. If you have any questions, their team of licensed independent experts is on hand to help. In fact, Policy Genius's award winning service has a five star rating across thousands of reviews on Trustpilot and Google. Make today the day you cross life insurance off your list and get protection for your loved ones. You could save 50% or more by comparing quotes. To get covered, head to policygenius.com today.